You only know what you know, said Captain Obvious, I guess. Let me put it another way. You don't know what you don't know. Be careful who you put your faith in, by the way. Be careful who you uh, hook your faith wagon to and say you're going to trust. I have a friend named Casper. Uh, he's been a lifelong friend. He passed away, went to heaven a couple of years ago. But when we were teenagers growing up together, we were best friends, and then we were the uh, uh, best men at each other's weddings. And so at our wedding, uh, my, our wedding was first, and I'm going to take Anita back 41 years now to our wedding day. And the wedding was great and all of that. We got to the reception area, and then it came time for the cutting of the cake. As we were walking to the cake, Casper quick pulled me aside. And he said to me, as any good friend would do, Carl, there's a tradition. What's that? He goes, no, you really got to do it. And I said, do what? He says, push the cake in her face. And I said, no way. He goes, no, 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 it's what you're supposed to do. It's a tradition. Three years later after that, the counseling went fine. We turned out really well together. We love each other. But I learned something that day. Be careful who you put your trust in. Be careful who you listen to. Because you only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. And who knows who might take advantage of the fact that you don't know what you don't know. And there are a lot of competing theories and philosophies out there trying to fill what you don't know. Do you agree with that? There's a lot of people, a lot of religions, a lot of philosophers, and a lot of friends in your life who want to fill that gap of what you don't know with what they think they know. It's a wonderful story about this gentleman, Abraham, that the Scripture was just talking about in chapter 11 of Hebrews. He was a wonderful man, and we celebrate him today. In fact, three different religions trace their lineage back to the life of Abraham and see him as one of their fathers in their particular religion. He's very, very beloved, very respected man from the Old Testament. He kind of got things started. And in the story that we read today from Hebrews 11, we find that there were three particular incidents that the, the New Testament writer of Hebrews wanted to remind us about the Old Testament story of this guy named Abraham and some of the lessons in faith that we can get out of the life of Abraham. They decided to pick three stories out. The first one was the story of Abraham living the life. He had a great life. He was living in his community where probably he was raised and his parents were raised and his grandparents were raised. He had all kinds of relatives all around him. He had a great job. He was doing excellent with his farming. He had all the money that he needed. He was living in a very satisfied life, the kind of life that produces a comfort level that we all long for, that time when there's really nothing going wrong and all of that. And then all of a sudden, God shows up in his life and says to him, I want you to leave all of this. And so the first story that the writer of Hebrews pulls out is the time when God tells him, I want you to start out, I want you to pack up, I want you to leave all of those comfort things, and I want you to follow me, and I'm going to take you to a new land. 
So he does that, and as he's organizing his stuff to leave, he says, by the way, God, can you tell me where we're going? And God says, I'm not going to tell you. I'll let you know when you get there. It needs a little faith. Be careful who you listen to in those times. The second story is another interesting story. It's years later now. He obeyed God on that one. And now his wife, Sarah, and, and he were told when they were younger, married, God told Abraham, by the way, not only am I going to take you to a new piece of land, I'm going to use you and Sarah to populate that land with so many people through so many generations, all the way up till today, by the way, still. All of these generations, <coughs> excuse me, of Jews that are going to live in the land and that are going to live in the world, and they're going to be like, like stars in the sky. He, he had them dreaming. He said, like stars in the sky, you're not even going to be able to count them. And that's great when you and your wife are of childbearing age, right? But they got into their old years, and it hadn't happened yet. But you know what? By faith, somehow Abraham said, I don't know how God's going to pull it off because I don't know that. You see, you only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. Faith is what fills the gap between what you know and what you don't know. And so he just says, I just know somehow God's going to pull that stars in the sky thing off somehow. And it turns out it's a great story in there about Sarah in her old years having a little baby. And that started that ball rolling. The third story is perhaps the most unusual of all of these stories. It's the one that's perhaps been one of the most disturbing stories in all of Scripture. It's one that many people have looked back and said, God, why would you do that? And it was a story, and I'll keep it PG rated here today, but it was a story where God tells Abraham, you know, the boy that he and Sarah had in their old years? The kid is now like 12 years old. He says, now I want you to go, and I want you to go up and sacrifice his life to me. You only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. Abraham sets out, and he starts, he grabs the boy, and they walk up the mountain. They obey God, you know, he does. And they get up there, and they, they assemble this altar, and, he, and he's laying Isaac down on the altar, and and. and and it's amazing because the writer of Hebrews actually says in verse 17 and following of chapter 11 here, that by faith, Abraham kind of did all of that because somehow he knew that God knows something that Abraham doesn't know. And he was willing to put his faith, which is exactly what shoots the gap between what you know and what you don't know. It's something called faith. He knew about God that this was out of God's character. All of the other religions at that time surrounding Abraham believed in what was called child sacrifice. The Jewish religion was the only one at that time, those who were followers of, of the one true God were the only religion that did not have it, except God said it's an abomination. So it made no sense that God would ask Abraham. Somehow Abraham knew that. So what do you know? You know that this doesn't make sense. God calls this an abomination, but there's a lot of things about, about the request from God that Abraham didn't know. He could have stood his ground and said, that's it, God. I put up with the leave my old country and go find something new, okay? I did the Sarah thing. You really scared me on that one. That was last minute, okay? 
But now you're asking me to do something that not only do you hate, I hate. This is the boy you promised me. How are you going to pull off that stars in the heavens thing? And he could have stood his ground and argued, not unlike what a lot of us do when we don't know what we don't know. Somehow, Abraham said, and he had enough faith to say, I don't know what I don't know, but God, I'm going to walk this journey with you. Many years ago, Anita and I had the privilege when we were younger in the ministry uh, and our church in Buffalo, New York, where we were pastoring, was just beginning to grow. And it was exciting, you know, exciting days when you're starting adding a few hundred people and it's great as you're getting to know one another. But it was a little scary to me, to be honest with you, as the leader, because I didn't, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what to do next. Kevin, I don't know, over time, you know, you get to a place where you don't have a lot of experience and say, what do I do next? How do I manage staff? How about that budget? It went from a real simple budget. Now it's a complicated thing. How do you do buildings? All of these kind of things. And so Anita and I had the privilege. We were down in, in New York City and decided uh, to go to Brooklyn Tabernacle. But before that, uh, Jim and Carol uh, Simbla, Jim is a pastor there at Brooklyn Tap said that he'd like to, he and his wife would like to have a meal with us and share a meal with us before that. So we went down, we had the dinner, and at the end of the dinner, I just asked, I know we had to, had to get going, but I said, would you just give me one piece of advice? I'm young, you're older, you, you're wise, you've built this great church, Brooklyn Tabernacle, and all of these things. Just give me one piece of advice I can take home with me tonight. And he said, sure, learn to be content with groping. I said, you gotta unpack that a little bit for me. He said, what I mean by that is, you only know what you know. You don't know what you, you don't know, and there's a lot you don't know. Don't project onto God your inadequacy. Just because you don't know it doesn't mean He doesn't know it. He said, God knows all things. He can see around the corner. You can't. He knows what's around the bend. You never will until after the fact. He said, you're going to have to trust in something. You're going to trust in your brains and your smarts and your education? That'll only get you so far. You're going to trust in your bank account? That's only going to get you so far. But if you want to see around corners, put your hand in the hand of the Spirit of God, and He'll never lead you wrong. That was the greatest advice. I needed to hear it then. I need to hear it still in my life today. So when I consider what faith then is, which is for Abraham to say to God, God, this goes against your character for asking me to sacrifice my son. You've already spoken that this is abhorrent to you. So you must be up to something else. My problem is I don't know what that up something else is. But you know what? I trust you. And I'll take your hand. What are the building blocks of that kind of faith? What are the things that you can do that produces that kind of faith in God. Number one, and three words I'm going to give you today. The first is the word assumptions. Assumptions. There are some assumptions that you can make in your relationship with God. Things like, if God is for us, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we know, Romans 828, and we know that in all things, God is at work. This is an assumption that God is at work for the good of those who love him and are called to his purposes. That's easy to say when everything's gone fine. It's much more difficult to say 
when it's in front of you and you have to act on it. But I think faith, for me at least, has always begun with, well, what has God already said? What are the assumptions of my journey with Christ? What are the assumptions that I've made? And I need to remember them because there are going to be days when I'm in the middle of the junk of that day, of whatever the crisis is or the dilemma or the decision that has to be made, and I'm going to be surrounded by all that stuff, and it's going to crowd out, and I've got to remember the assumptions that I know about God. And the assumption that Abraham had about God for his little boy was, this doesn't make sense. And so because of that, I assume that God's character is going to remain intact, that his word is going to remain true. I have no idea how he's going to pull this out. All I know is what I know about God, and I do know that. And so you remind yourself what it is that you do know. I find it interesting how tempted we are in the difficulties of our days to even forget what we already know. I mean, it's bad that there's stuff we don't know that we don't know. But it's even worse. It's almost like insulting to God when we already knew it and we forget it. So that's the first word. And I think that when you remind yourself of the assumptions that you know already about God, that that's the first building block. The second building block is like it. It's what I call having a good memory, having a good memory. One of the tools of the enemy and and you can identify with this too. One of the tools of the enemy is that he uses the fear of the moment to make you forget what he's done before. We become very uh, centered on the moment, and we panic in the moment, partly because we've forgotten what it is that he's done before. You know, you have a story. And I have to say today, God's been good. Every crisis I've ever been through, He got me through it. I am here today as a living testimony that God is true, and He gets you through it. But what it is, I don't know what it is, but we allow the enemy to harass us with the lie that says this moment is all there is, And he'll say things like, and by the way, this goes back to Adam and Eve. Did God really say? And you get caught up in it. My prayer for you as I was preparing this week for the sermon, when I got to this particular word, having a good memory, I prayed for you and me. Because I know for many of us, this is where we fall down. This is where the great defeat happens. Because we forget how far God's already brought us. He has not let you down yet. He's not going to start now. So the first is to have some assumptions. And that, that, that's why we ought to memorize the Scriptures. And we know that in all things, God, you know, we memorize Scriptures to remind us of the assumptions of our faith. Number two, having a good memory. And then number three is the word focus. The word focus. This takes us back to the book of Hebrews. The next chapter, chapter 12, begins by saying, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. By the way, I love that phrase, we're surrounded by such a great cloud. You know why? Because in the moment when I was talking about having a good memory, sometimes you might forget about your own story, but I'll tell you what, just listen to the stories of people around you. They'll remind you. 
They're going to speak in. When you're going through a difficult time, they're going to speak into your life. They're going to call you and say, hey, I was praying for you. You know what? There was a time in my life when I went through the same thing. And let me tell you what God did for me. Sometimes if you can't have your own, borrow a memory from somebody else. It helps along the way. Therefore, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2 fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, I think that this is the problem that Peter had in his moment of crisis. Remember the story, he and the other disciples are out of the boat and the water is churning up and the winds are blowing around and they're scared to death. They're caught in the moment. They've already forgotten what Jesus has already said and they've already forgotten some of the stories of how Jesus got them through other things. They're just caught in the moment, so like the human nature to just get stuck in the moment and be overwhelmed by the moment and forget. Well, along comes Jesus walking on water. And Peter, in his cockiness, says to Jesus, hey, if it's really you, tell me to come walking to you on the water. Jesus calls his bluff. He says, walk, come. Well, Peter, you know, now, now pride kicks in. He can't back down now because the others are watching, right? He gets out of the boat, and he's only the second guy in all of recorded history to actually walk on water. And you know what? He's doing fine. The secret to doing fine for Peter that night was as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. If he looked at him, it's amazing what you can do when you fix your gaze on the answer to your problem instead of on the problem. Peter fails when he looks down. The minute he looks down and breaks the gaze, he sees the waves. The waves were there before he saw them, right? They were still there, even walking on the water. The waves didn't go away. The waves were still there. But when all he saw was Jesus, it's amazing what he can do when you just lock your eyes on Jesus. Focus. Two days ago, Anita and I decided to go kayaking with our three grandchildren. Now, we have two kayaks, and uh, they had one, and so we put Sam in the third kayak. He's 12 years old. And then we have two younger ones, and Anita decided to take one in her kayak, and I took one in my kayak. I took the little five-year-old boy named Marcus. And he was so brave. You know, he's this kind of kid that loves to get up all of the energy and, and, and all of that and, and the confidence. And I can almost see it in him. He's kind of pumping himself up for this moment. And we, we get there. We get our life jackets on. We get the kayaks out. We slide him. And uh, I get in and I put him in, you know, between my knees. And we're sitting there and I'm getting ready to shove off out into the water. And I see his little hands grab. <laughs> All of a sudden, I could almost literally feel his confidence dripping out of his body. And he turns back to me, and he says, Papa, is this lake deep? <laughs> and I knew what he was getting at. I said, yeah, Marcus, it's deep. Is it over my head? Can I stand? And I said, no. Can you stand? <laughs> no. And I saw his little hands grab tighter. And I said, but Marcus, you know what you have? What? <laughs> I was hoping he would say, I have you, Papa. You know, but he didn't even say that. I said, you've got a life jacket on. And I saw one hand go up and grab the life jacket. I said, you've got that life jacket. And do you know what? I've been in situations where I needed a life jacket. I was skiing behind a boat. And I remember when, the, when the, the, the rope jumped out of my hands and I'm flailing and falling into the water. And you know what? 
The life jacket kept me bobbing up on the service. It held for me. Life jackets do that for you. And I saw his hands starting to relax as he realized that the story that I was telling him gave him the ability to have some faith in that life jacket that we're actually going to have fun. And so I said, tell you what, see the very end of the kayak, keep your eyes peeled right on the end of that until we get out into the middle of the lake. And then when we're out there, I said, I want you to start looking with me for birds. We're going to look at some special birds, see if we can find any unusual birds. In other words, just to get him to look up from the water, to look up from the panicky kayak that's rocking back and forth, and this fear of deep water drowning, you know, the not making it, to get him to see the joy that we're about to experience together, and you're going to be safe in the, in the process. You're facing a dilemma right now. How about a big decision you have to make? Maybe a disaster is brewing in a relationship with someone or you're in your bank account. Maybe your health. That is your situation, but it's not the describer of what's going to happen. And if you're not careful, you're going to let that thing decide the outcome. Be careful who you put your faith in. There's only one that can produce the kind of outcome that calms your heart, brings peace, and produces all of the goodness that ought to be happening in our lives. His name is God. Listen to the stories around you. Listen to the encouragement of others. Even the Apostle Paul, he was um, mentoring, and I'll finish with this today. The Apostle Paul was mentoring a young man named Timothy. Timothy wanted to be a pastor, so Paul said, okay, I'll work with you, and he was developing him. And there was a moment in the book of 2 Timothy when, when Paul's describing the heartache and the difficulties of ministry, and Pastor Kevin and I won't bore you with that, but there are heartaches and there are, there are difficulties in the ministry. He's describing it and all of the, the persecutions and things like that. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. The Apostle Paul said, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Okay, so he's saying what's obvious. That's what he knows. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet, this is no course for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. That's heady stuff. That's faith. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I'm aware today that I'm speaking to a room full of human beings and people watching online right now, human beings. We have great days and then we have really hard times. I know that. But in the midst of it all, there's something I don't know of my own. I don't know what I don't know. Thank you, God, that you know all things. And today I pray on behalf of my friends who are in the midst of a difficult moment. Might you protect them from the enemy trying to get them to stare at the water. Might they lock their gaze on you in this moment. And might you lift them up. And today we choose to have faith in you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In Jesus' name, amen.